with you. Uh, we're in our next session going through God's uh, big picture tonight. Uh, we're looking at the prophets. Let me just read something from the prophets. This is from Jeremiah chapter 30, and then Dave's going to lead us uh, in prayer and then in song as well. This is Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah is looking forward to a future time, to a future place, to a future kingdom. Uh, This is what the Lord says, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwellings. The city will be rebuilt on her ruins and the palace will stand in its proper place. From From then will come songs of thanksgiving and the sound of rejoicing. I will add to their numbers and they will not be decreased. I will bring them honor and they will not be disdained. Their children will be as in days of old and their community will be established before me. I will punish all who oppress them. Their leader will be one of their own. Their, lead, their ruler will arise from among them. I will bring him near and he will come close to me. For who is he who will devote himself to be close to me, declares the Lord. So you will be my people and I will be your God. Dave. Great. Let's uh, stand and let's uh, pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for gathering us here uh, this evening. We thank you that we can come and we can praise your name. We thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. We thank you that you are the God who provides. And we thank you that you are the God who comes near and presences himself with us. And so we pray that you would do that tonight as we open your word, as we sing praise to your name. Change us, we pray. Amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. sun comes up it's a new day dawning it's time to sing your song again whatever may pass and whatever lies before me let me be singing when the evening comes Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship your holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name. in love and you're slow to anger your name is great and your heart is kind for all your goodness I will keep on singing ten thousand reasons for my heart to find Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship Your holy name. When my strength is failing The end draws near and my time has come Still my soul will sing your praise unending Ten thousand years and then forevermore Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name, 
sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name I worship your holy name I worship your holy name Jesus you endure my pain Saviour you bore all my shame all because of your love Maker of the universe broken for the sins of the earth all because of your love All because of your love Because of your cross My debt is paid Because of your blood My sins are washed away Now all of my life I freely give because of your love, because of your love I live. Innocent and holy King, you died to set the captive free, all because of your love. You gave your life for me I will give my life for you All because of your love All because of your love Because of your cross My debt is paid because of your blood, my sins are washed away. Now all of my life I freely give. Because of your love, because of your love I live. You did it for me, you did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me, you did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. You did it for me, you did it for love. It's your victory, Jesus, you are enough. your cross my debt is paid because of your blood my sins are washed away now all of my life I freely give because of your love because of your love I live let me pray for us. Uh, Father God, we do not deserve to stand here tonight as your people. Uh, we only come here because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ shed for us at the cross, and we praise you for that. Please show us more of you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit tonight, and please show us more of your wondrous plan. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do take a seat, and oh, look at that, Paul. I've remembered to do this. Okay, it's great to see you here tonight, um, and we're going to be getting on with our next section uh, of God's Big Picture, but I thought before we, we do that, we do a bit of a quiz. Um, 
And obviously, if you've been here in previous weeks, that would help. Um, don't worry at all if you don't know some of these, if you only know a few of these. Um, uh, it's, it's a competition. You're not going to win anything. A bit like England at the World Cup. You're not actually going to win anything at the end of it. Um, but it might help just get some things into our long-term memory. I'm Welsh. We're not going to win anything either. So here we go. I'm going to run through 10 questions. And on your table, on your table, you should have one of these sheets. So if you can nominate someone on your table to grab a pen, they might be two sheets, in which case you can break up into two teams. Grab a pen. I'm going to go through 10 questions that I think we've covered in previous weeks. I've got to be honest, at least one of these, when I was doing it earlier, I didn't know the answer to. Um, so don't worry if you get some of these wrong. OK, question number one is this. Complete this summary of the Bible. The Old Testament leads to the New Testament. P leads to F. What do P and F stand for? If you don't know, have a little guess. Question number two. Uh, what does Genesis uh, 1 verse 26 and Genesis 1 verse 27 say about human beings? Uh, this came up in the Sunday evening series. I think it's also coming up in life groups as well. What does it say about us? A few people are looking in Bibles. I guess that's allowed. You can't really ban looking in Bibles in a church service. Question number three. Who are God's people and what is God's place in the pattern of the kingdom? So remember, we've got these categories. When we get to the pattern of the kingdom, uh, what does he say? Who were God's people and what is God's place in the pattern of the kingdom? I'll give you a little clue. This is going in sort of Bible order. Question number four. What three things did God promise Abraham? Come up in our morning series as well. <laughs> Steve's on a team on his own. Fantastic. He should be. He did all the talks. Okay, question number five. How many times is covenant mentioned in the Old Testament? I didn't know this, and I'm entirely going on what Steve said last week. Amos going through page by page counting. Okay, let's go on. Question number six. What are the five covenants that Steve talked about last week? And bonus marks, what are the signs of the first two? A clue is that one of them came up this morning. Question number seven. In Genesis 37, whose dreams point to what God is going to do to build a people? In Genesis 37, whose dreams point to what God is going to do to build a people? YPF, you did a series on this last year. I'm pretty sure. Question eight. What does God promise David? What does God promise David? Question. Give me another 10 seconds on that. Question nine. What is the name of the prophet who confronts David after David commits adultery and murder? Uh, this came up in Gareth's talk, I think. And question... Number 10. What are the name of the two kingdoms of after Israel splits? Sorry, sorry. What are the name of the two kingdoms after Israel splits?
Okay, here we go. Let me run through the answers. You can tell me how you do I don't even know what this is out of. I think there's so many different options in here. Question number one. Uh, complete the summary of the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, promise to fulfillment. Promise to fulfillment. That's our kind of overview um, of this series. Question number two. Uh, Genesis 1, 26, 27 says that we are made in God's image. Question number three, and we're looking at that in life groups, incredibly important verse. Question number three, who are God's people and what is God's place? God's people are Adam and Eve, and God's place is Eden. Question number four, what three things did God promise Abraham? Land, and then any of those, I, I hear lots of different versions of it, and then blessing, or some version of blessing, being blessed, being a blessing, land people blessing. Again, incredibly important passage for the rest of the Bible. Question number five. How many times is covenant mentioned in the Old Testament? 318. Is that right, Steve? Okay. 318. Hands up if you had 318. Jim had 318. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Okay. That's not, that's not very Christian. Question number six. Uh, what are the five covenants... Uh, Noahic, Abrahamic, Mosaic, Davidic, and the New Covenants. And the two signs, the sign of the Noahic Covenant is rainbow, and the sign of the Abrahamic is circumcision from this morning. Number seven, in Genesis 37, whose dreams point to what God is going to do to build a people? Joseph. Question eight. What did God promise David? Uh, his house will be established. One of his descendants will be an everlasting king. Question number nine. Uh, what is the name of the prophet who confronts David after David commits adultery and murder? Nathan. Nathan. So he's not one of the prophets looking at tonight, but it's just a not, uh, it's an example of what prophets do. And number 10. What are the name of the two kingdoms after Israel splits? Uh, Israel and Judah. Okay, it's really important for tonight. Israel, Northern Kingdom, Judah, Southern Kingdom. Okay. Right, we're going to um, get stuck into this. I'm not going to ask you how you did, because as I say, I don't actually know what the score was out of with that. Um, we're going to get stuck into sorry, uh, this tonight. Um, this is a handout. This is quite a detailed handout. I think I've put more references down than for any talk I've ever done. Um, but I hope it is helpful for you so that you're not scribbling um, all the time. You might want to go back and look at some verses. Some of them I'll put on the screen, some of them I won't. Um, but it just gives you a guide of where we are going tonight. Um, and we are looking at the prophesied uh, kingdom the prophesied kingdom, all the prophetic books of the Old Testament. So that is Isaiah, Jeremiah, and the other 15 books. And I think the prophets can be quite hard to get a handle on, partly because of um, the, the, the way the text is, partly because some of those books are just quite long. Um, and they're the kind of books that I'd imagine lots of people, um, even if you're quite a mature Christian, lots of people will know verses from, you'll know quotes from, you'll know passages from, but how do they all hold together? That's what we're looking at tonight, or maybe you do know them uh, really well, and tonight is just a helpful refresher for you. So rather than going through individual prophets and saying we're going to do Isaiah, then Jeremiah, then Ezekiel, we're going to look at some broad themes, some common things that hold them all together. And so there's three big things we're going to do tonight. Excuse me. Number one, we're going to look at who the prophets were. Number two, we're going to look at one of their big themes, which is judgment on sin. And number three, we're going to look at their other big theme, which is hope. And we're going to finish with hope. So who were the prophets? Uh, let's quickly run through the prophets. Uh, just a reminder, this is our kind of overview where we are looking. And this is where we're going to get up to by the end of tonight. By the end of tonight, which is we're going to reach the end of the Old Testament. So we're ready to turn the page into Matthew. So who were the prophets? Oh, I feel like I've lost the slide somewhere. Oh, there we go. 
Um, these are the prophets. And it's helpful to kind of put it in this um, timeline. Actually, Moses is a very early prophet. If you think of what Moses does, uh, Moses is called by God to speak God's words to Pharaoh. And then Moses goes up Mount Sinai and God speaks to him and gives him his words, which is the law. And then Moses takes that word, the law, and he goes down the mountain and he gives it to the people. That's an early example of what a prophet does They take God's word and they speak it to people. And actually, the things that Moses says about the covenant, about keeping the law or facing judgment, those are themes that the prophets keep on coming back to. They're they're almost enforcing that covenant. Uh, Then the next major prophets we see are Elijah and Elisha. So there are some other kind of prophets before that, and Nathan we've just seen, and there's quite a few individuals. But Elijah and Elisha are quite significant prophets. Uh, They live in the northern kingdom in Israel. So uh, you can see um, Israel up there in the north. Um, They uh, operate there, and a a lot of it is about conflict with kings who are not following God's commands. And you've got um, some other prophets there who follow them, and uh, people like Amos and Hosea and Jonah, they also lived in the, in the northern kingdom in the 8th century. But then in 722 BC, the northern kingdom is destroyed by Assyria. And that's the end of the northern kingdom. And so all the other prophets are in the southern kingdom. And we can divide their time into three, really. And the big thing in the middle of their time is the exile. So if you have a big calendar... Exile is the one that's circled in red or has a red cross on it. It's a hugely important event in the Old Testament. It's where Babylon, the great superpower of the time, comes and invades uh, Judah and, in, and takes over Jerusalem and ramsacks the temple okay, and takes lots of people off into captivity in, uh, in, in Babylon. And so the first group of prophets in the southern kingdom, people like Isaiah and Micah and sort of Jeremiah and quite a few others, they are prophesying in advance of the exile. So they are saying this thing is going to happen. That's going to come up quite a bit. And then there's another group of prophets, and they are prophesying during the exile. So that's people like uh, Ezekiel and Daniel. They're actually in Babylon. And then the rest of the prophets prophesy in the southern kingdom after the people return from exile. So they're known as post-exilic prophets. And that is people uh, like Malachi and Haggai and Zechariah. So the exile is hugely important. Uh, There are 17 prophetic books. You have the major prophets and the minor prophets. It might seem harsh to be the minor prophet. You can imagine Nahum going, why minor prophets? Well, actually, uh, the minor prophets um, are minor prophets because their books are just shorter, and the major prophets, the books are longer, but they're all equally important. So uh, what else do we know about these prophets? Um, They didn't just start talking. So I was reading uh, yesterday, I was reading um, some columnists in uh, a newspaper, and those are people who are paid to just give their opinion, their view on the world. Okay, so they just sit there one week and go, what do I think? What do I think about Matt Hancock? I'm, I'm a celebrity. I don't know. I'm just going to write something down. Um, the prophets are not like that. Okay? The prophets are people who are explicitly called by God to speak his word. Called by God to speak his word. So uh, this is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 2. God says, son of man, he's speaking to Ezekiel, I'm sending you to the Israelites to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. So you see there the role of the prophet. The prophet has been called by God to take God's word to the people, even if they're going to hear it or not hear it. Isaiah chapter 6, really famously, Isaiah is there in the temple. He has a vision of God. And he, uh, he hears the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And God's, uh, Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And Isaiah, uh, God says to Isaiah, go and tell this people. And then he gives him a message to go. Um, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4, um, you've got in your sheets, the word of the Lord came to me. That's a very common thing. And then uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 in the New Testament, Peter says, prophecy never had its origins in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so you get this phrase that comes up a lot of, thus says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. This is the word of the Lord. That phrase comes up hundreds and hundreds of times. They are not just speaking their own words. 
But at the same time, God is speaking through individual prophets and individual lives. Okay, so they are, they're, not, um, they're not just like a, a fax machine. Um, and I need to explain to YPF what a fax machine is. Um, so I don't even know. I've never used a fax machine. But they're not some kind of machine where God gives a message and they just, it's almost just dictated and it's just given out to people. Now, actually, we learn a lot about the, the prophets' lives and they all prophesy within different contexts. And God uh, works through their lives. So, for example, the book of Daniel, uh, you may know that Daniel contains a lot of prophecy, a lot of apocalyptic prophecy. So that is uh, language about the end times, and it's also language using symbolism and metaphor, dragons and beasts and things like that. But we also get a lot about Daniel's life, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Daniel with King Nebuchadnezzar, and Daniel refusing to eat certain foods. And so you see through Daniel's very particular situation. Um, If you look at the book of Hosea, you see Hosea's life, and it seems like Hosea's marriage and Hosea's children are all part of something that God is using to paint a picture. Um, Isaiah has lots and lots of normal prophecy where God is speaking to people, but then we also find out about some things in Isaiah's life, when Isaiah is called, when Isaiah um, relates to, to the rulers of the time. Um, Ezekiel is asked to do lots of strange things. So, so God uses the prophet's lives. And the prophets are speaking in two directions or ways. The first is that they are foretelling. They're foretelling. Um, and that means that they are predicting things about the future. They're saying these things are going to happen in the future. And so uh, I guess a famous example of that is uh, some of the prophecies about Christmas. So as we build up to Christmas, um, at school we're doing an assembly series at Christmas where we're starting with uh, Genesis 3 and then Genesis 12 and saying how it points to Jesus coming. But now we're getting into the prophets and very specific prophecies about where he's going to be born and, and things like that. Okay, so those are things about the future. But the prophets are also foretellers. So they are speaking to the people around them. They're speaking into their situation. So they're not just in a room thinking about the future. They're very observant. So they're seeing what the kings are doing. They're seeing what the religious leaders are doing. They're seeing what the people are doing. And they're also commenting on that, which is why it's very important when you read the prophets to try and understand their situation. Um, So what was the prophets' message? Um, Well, they say a lot. Um, There are 164,384 words in the written prophets. Um, I counted them. And... Uh, it's only partly a joke. I actually I had a list of the numbers in each book and just counted them up. Uh, I don't know why. Um, that's 21% of the Bible. So they say a lot. They say a lot. But tonight we're going to summarize it into two big things, two big themes. Judgment on sin and hope. Judgment on sin and hope. Um, over half term, we uh, went to the uh, Peak District on, oh, I'll come to that in a second. Um, over, we went to Peak District, and um, I went to the National Emergency Services Museum, um, as, as I would do. I don't know if you would do that. Um, it was quite interesting. Um, here we go. Here's a picture. These, these are not real detectives, although with police cuts, you never know. Um, but they had some really interesting um, things there um, in these kind of Victorian cells uh, where they were talking about Victorian crime and punishment. And they had this board. Um, here is uh, an interesting board where you, it was interactive. You were supposed to take a piece of chalk and write. What makes a person good or bad? What makes a person good or bad? And you can see some people have just written down their friend's name is for bad, which is a little bit harsh. Um, but there are some really interesting things here as well. So what makes a person bad? Stealing, cheating. What makes a person good? Being kind, not stealing, not stealing. And actually, I think that is indicative in lots of ways of uh, what people think in terms of badness and in terms of sin, I guess. And yes, stealing is bad. So in the Mosaic Covenant, one of the Ten Commandments, is about not stealing. But actually, why do we steal? Why are we bad? And our society has a really deficient understanding of badness, of sin. And the prophets give a much, much bigger picture, much more developed picture of that. So what do the prophets say about sin? They say that sin is against God. Yeah? So when we look at that uh, board, nowhere on that board does he mention God. But the prophets say sin starts with God. So uh, Isaiah chapter 63 verse 10, Isaiah says, uh, the people rebelled 
and grieved God's Holy Spirit. So when they rebelled, they're not just breaking laws, they are grieving God's Spirit. In Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God. Sin is against God and sin is turning away from God. Uh, so this is from Daniel chapter 9, where Daniel is praying a prayer of confession. And he says this, he says, I pray to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love and those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets. So it is about turning away from God. Isaiah 59 verse 13 says, uh, the people have been transgressing and denying the Lord, turning away from their God. And in fact, one of the most dominant pictures in the prophets is the picture of adultery and unfaithfulness. And so the book of Isaiah is a whole book about that, using that picture, um, where it's about cheating on God. I'd imagine when they were cheating on there, that isn't what they meant. But actually the prophets used this idea of, of, of turning away from God and being unfaithful, breaking a kind of a marriage covenant with God. Uh, this is what it says in uh, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 7. God says, why should I forgive you? Your children have forsaken me, they turned away from me, and sworn by gods that are not gods. I supplied all their needs, yet they committed adultery and thronged to the houses of prostitutes. Um, and I don't think that is kind of meant literally. I think that's, that's an indication, that's a picture of unfaithfulness. They have turned away from God to other things, to other things. Uh, we learn that sin is much deeper than just actions. So Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So the board in the National Emergency Services Museum, people there in that kind of crime and punishment section, what makes someone bad? Breaking the law. Yeah? So breaking the law, being arrested, that makes you bad. And Jeremiah says it starts with your heart. And it starts with how you deal with God. Um, sin is also about replacing God with something else. So it's replacing God with idols. So Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 4, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. Um, Isaiah has a whole passage where God mocks these idols because these idols are just things that people have invented. They're, they're made of wood, they're made of stone. But the people have replaced God in their hearts with these idols. And uh, John Calvin, the reformer, said, um, all of us have an idol factory in our hearts. Our hearts are idol factories. We just do this all the time. We do it now. We create these idols in place of God. So sin is primarily about, about God, but it's also about other people. And the prophets talk a lot about sin um, against God overflowing into the mistreatment of others. So a huge emphasis on the mistreatment of the poor and the needy and not caring about justice. So this is from uh, Amos chapter 5, where it says, uh, there are those who turn justice into bitterness and cast righteousness to the ground. So they take goodness and following God's commands and they put it on the ground and they stamp all over it. There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great are your sins. So you see the kind of sins that he is calling out there. He's seeing society around him and he's saying there are people who are powerful who are mistreating the courts. They're abusing their power. There are people who are rich who are mistreating the poor, even though they're incredibly wealthy. It's about mistreating other people. And we're also told that sin is bad for us. So Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 um, says, not only is sin wrong, but it's also a really, really silly thing to do. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13, God says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And I did a children's talk a few years ago where I had like a glass of clear water and then I had a glass full of mud and just horrible, like loads of things in the kitchen, like just disgusting. And I said to one of the children, do you want to come and drink from this? And they did. And then I said, do you want to come and drink from this? And no one would do it. 
No one's going to come up and drink that. But Jeremiah says that is what we are doing. When we turn away from God, we're turning away from the living water and we're turning away to something that is terrible for us. It will not satisfy. That is sin. And we're also told that they can sin while being religious. So Amos chapter 5 again, this is the end of the passage. God says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. So God is being very clear there. He's saying you can't do all the religious stuff and hope that, that covers up all your other sin. It's not going to work. So what is going to happen in, in response to this? Well, two things on the sheet. One of them, God is going to judge. God is going to judge. And the big uh, symbol of that in the time of the prophets is the exile. It's the big cross in the calendar where Judah will be invaded and the people captured. And this is going to be an act of God. Okay? So this is not a random political event. It's not a random military strategy. It is going to be Babylon, the world superpower, under God's control. Israel, the northern kingdom, has already been destroyed and Judah is going to be taken captive. And if we think of our God's big picture categories of the land being in the land, in God's place, they're going to be taken out of God's place. And the phrase that is used a lot in the prophets is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. Uh, have a read of this. Just let these words kind of sink into you. I think they're quite, well, I think they're terrifying in lots of ways. This is Zephaniah chapter 1. Verse uh, 14, the great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to save them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And Nahum 1 verse 6 says, Who can stand before God's indignation? Who can endure his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Joel chapter 2 verse 11 the Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And so what do we learn about this? This day is going to be coming fast, but it's also going to be unexpected. And it's going to be the day where God, God is revealed as king to the world. And it's a day where God will punish sinners who have rebelled against him. It will also mark the beginning of a new creation. We'll hear about that in a moment. But it is terrifying in lots of ways. And even though it is about the exile, with the prophets, there are almost two horizons. So you see the exile there, it's like two mountains. You see the exile there, but then further in the distance, there's something else that it's pointing to. And that is the final day of judgment that is coming. So the exile is just a shadow, even though it's devastating for Judah, it is just a shadow of what is to come, that final day of judgment. And I think we forget that, don't we? We forget that kind of language that God himself uses. Uh, Martin Luther used to say that in his diary, in his calendar, he had two dates. And the two dates were today and that day. And that day was the day when Jesus returned and was the day of judgment. And also, God will judge all sin from every nation. Okay? Because a lot of this is directed at Judah a lot of it is directed at Israel. But God also makes clear through the prophets he is king of the whole world. Um, I've put down there an outline of Habakkuk. If you're not familiar with Habakkuk, Habakkuk is a conversation between God and Habakkuk. And Habakkuk looks at the people of Judah, he sees all the evil, and he says to God, God, why do you allow Judah to continue with its evil practices and sin? And God says, I'm going to judge sin. Babylon is going to come and invade and judge but then Habakkuk says, hang on, I know about the Babylonians, and they're also really, really sinful and really evil. 
And God says, don't worry, I'm going to use them as my tool, as my instrument, but then I'm going to judge them. Every single person will be held to account. So where have we got to at the end of this section? How does it link with what we've seen so far in this Bible overview? Remember chapter 3 of the Bible, Adam and Eve sin. This is just all in that flow. But these people had already been given God's law. And you remember when they went into the land, Moses and Joshua said to them, if you keep God's commands, if you keep God's commands, uh, you will be under God's good rule. You will have the good life, the good blessing. But they hadn't. And remember that they had kings. They'd had religious leaders, but those people had failed again and again and again. David, King David, we saw earlier, Nathan had to go to him to rebuke him because of his sin. And so Israel has turned away from God's rules, turned away from God's blessing, and they've never really had a good enough king. And so the whole concept of God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing, is not looking uh, promising at the moment. And what do we learn from this? Very quickly, just some kind of observations before we uh, do a quick task and then our final section. Um, we need to be really clear on judgment. I think um, it's, it, there are some really nice passages in the Old Testament, um, in the prophets, uh, but there's a lot there about judgment, and we need to be clear on that. And I think sometimes we can, um, some churches um, can, for maybe for goodish reasons can say, well, we want to make it more palatable. We want people to, to not be put off by the Christian message, so we're not going to talk about that as much. And look at what the prophets do. Actually, it is a, it is a, it's a good thing. It's a loving thing to warn people of these things. Uh, we need to expect opposition. So Jeremiah um, says this. He says to God, I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. They insult and reproach me all day long. And it's because he's giving God's words. Daniel happens to him. Ezekiel it happens to him. It happens to all the prophets, really. And so why would we be different? Why would we expect to go through our whole lives as Christians speaking about Jesus and never facing any kind of opposition? And remember Jesus, the one we followed, they killed him. They killed him. But also, I think the interesting thing is there's a lot of complacency. So Judah and Israel heard about the day of the Lord coming, God's judgment, and they said, we'll be fine. We're religious, God, God won't mind, God's nice, we'll be fine, and they weren't. And God is patient, it says in the New Testament, God is patient, but judgment will come. We need to be alert to that reality. So what I'd like you to do now, just for three or four minutes, is on your sheets, on your tables, I've given you a big sheet, this is Isaiah chapter one, I'm going to give you four minutes to do this, no more than that. And all these themes that we've seen about sin, sin being idolatry, sin being unfaithfulness, uh, sin being against God, sin being against people, sin like religion not covering it up. See if you can read through this and spot how many of those appear in Isaiah chapter 1. But also, is there any hope? Is there any hope in Isaiah chapter 1? Okay, if you go. I'm not very good at it. Um, okay, so we've seen lots of different themes about sin. Lots of different aspects of sin. How many of those can you spot in Isaiah chapter 1? Just note down next to the verses when you see them. And is there any hope in Isaiah chapter 1? Okay. Back together. Okay, I need, I, I've been told I need to apologize for deleting verses from the Bible. Okay, in order it was to do like in time and on one sheet, I did take some verses out. I still agree with those verses. Um, I just like to make that clear to people. They're still really good verses. Um, okay, did we find the hope? Does anyone find the hope? Yeah. Okay, um, where do we find the hope? Anyone want to call out? There's two bits of hope in there. Verse, verse, 18. verse 18, which is what, David? Uh, come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they should be white as snow. Though they're red as crimson, they should be marked. Fantastic. And there's one more bit. Anyone see the other bit? Uh, Chris Pass, which is? Fantastic. Okay. So we see there what we see in all the prophets, which is that you see judgment, but you also see hope. And in that chapter, you see it in the same chapter. Um, and these two themes, I just want to make clear that there's 17 um, uh, books of written prophecy, and it's not that some of them are about judgment and some are about hope. It's that they are all about judgment and hope. These things run through everything. 
Um, and remember the foundational promises given to Abraham, land, people, blessing. Um, when God says that, and Mike said this this morning, that when God says, gets to Genesis 17, he says to Abraham, trust me, trust me, I am going to do this. And when he gets to the prophets, he's still saying that. He's still saying that. He hasn't given up on that. He will still keep those promises, even though the people are absolute failures. God is not done. Um, and here's a big word that we're going to see now in our final uh, section. It's the word new. Okay, it's the word new. It's a big word, it's a little word, but it's a really important word with these promises. So what are these promises of hope in the prophets? And we're going to look at them under our three headings, God's people, God's place, under God's rule and blessing. God's people, God promises that there will be a remnant. And a remnant is the thing that remains afterwards. And so God says that even though he's going to bring terrible judgment on, on the people, there will still be some that are saved and God is going to build a new people from that. So Isaiah chapter 10 verse 20 says, a remnant of Jacob will return to the mighty God. In Joel chapter 2, it talks about the day of the Lord. It says we talk that the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance. So Joel is saying even in the day of the Lord there will be salvation. Uh, there will be a new exodus. So the exodus in the Old Testament is not a one-off event. It's not even a one-off event that's inspired films and a slightly dodgy musical. It is a picture, a motif that runs through the whole Bible. Okay? What is the exodus? The exodus is God saving people from slavery into freedom so that they can be in the promised land in his place to worship him and that picture runs through all the prophets okay so the pre-exilic prophets are saying to people even though you're going to go into exile you will also come out of it there will be people who come out of it but more than that it's pointing to a bigger exodus when God will bring lots of people from slavery into freedom to be his people so that they can worship him ultimately in the new creation. Okay? And if you are here tonight, you're trusting in Jesus, you're part of the new exodus. It will also be a new global people. So it won't just be Israel and Judah. So Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says, I will make you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. So you think of all the countries that will be at the World Cup, all the countries that didn't qualify for the World Cup. Um, the, all, of those, all of those nations, every single nation, the gospel will go out to those places will go out to those places, be a new global people. And um, God's place, it will be a new temple. So in the book of Ezekiel, there's this um, really distressing bit in Ezekiel chapter 10, where it says, in God's temple, uh, God's presence leaves it. Said so the, the presence of God, uh, that God's glory has left the temple. And the temple is just this hollow shell. But then in chapter 40 through to 48, Ezekiel sees this vision of a new temple, a greater temple, an amazing temple, and God's presence comes back into the temple. And in that temple, a river of life flows out of it. It's pointing forward to a time where God's presence will be with people in a new and amazing way. Um, there will be a new creation and a new Jerusalem. So Isaiah 65 says, See, I will create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Um, and I don't know how you found this Bible overview, but um, I hope you found it interesting, and maybe you found it encouraging, but actually a lot of it is really discouraging. When you go through the Old Testament, there are so many points where it's full of sin and darkness, and the people fail again and again and again. And God is saying that there will be a new creation where all of that is gone. All of that is gone. So the curses are going to be reversed. Sin will be gone. Death will be gone. God will be with his people. And that won't just be a part of the world. That will be the whole world. The whole of creation will be new. Uh, and last thing, under God's rule and blessing. So to be under God's rule and blessing, God's people need a ruler and one of the things that really stands out in the Old Testament is that every single ruler fails. David fails, Solomon fails, Saul fails, and all the kings fail. But there would be a new king. Okay, so let's get Christmassy. Um, hands up if you're looking forward to Christmas. Hands up if you're stressed about Christmas already. I'm stressed about Christmas. Um, Isaiah chapter 9. 
For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. We've already seen the promise to David that one of his descendants will be an everlasting king. Um, But we find out that this king will be different because Isaiah, when he gets to the middle part of his book, he says this king will be a servant. He'll be a servant. And this king is going to serve God and serve the people by dying for them. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All that sin that we've seen, the servant will die for it. So that the punishment that brought us peace was on him. So that is the judgment on sin, and he's going to deal with that judgment. By his wounds we are healed. Uh, there'll be a new covenant. We talked about covenants last week. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant. A covenant where God um, is going to make a way for people be, to be in relationship with him, where their sin can be dealt with so that they can be his people under his blessing. And lastly, Ezekiel 36 says, We have a We will have a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone, from you your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. So as we get to the end of the Old Testament, where are we up to? Um, There's loads of hope. There's loads of hope, but there's still some things that are not clear. Okay, God will do all of this, but how? Um, Because some of the... uh, Lost my sheet. How is God going to do this? Um, It needs someone to turn up who's going to be a new Passover lamb for a new exodus. It needs someone who will be a servant who will suffer and die. Someone who will give us his spirit and give us new hearts. Someone who will be a true king, a good king, a perfect king, a sinless king, an everlasting king that death cannot defeat him. Someone who will be God's temple, who will be God with us so that if we're with him, we are in God's presence. Someone whose name we can call on so that on the day of judgment, we can be guaranteed uh, that we are safe because of him. And that all sets us up for turning the page into Matthew, into the New Testament, that we are looking for this person. And I hope that shows you why why a Bible overview is, is so helpful. Um, one of the ways it's helpful, because if you just go to Matthew Cold or Mark's Gospel Cold, you don't get that weight of expectation. They're waiting for this person to come. He didn't have to come. Didn't have to come. And if he didn't come, we'd all be, still be slaves to sin and facing judgment and the day of the Lord. But Christmas shouts to us that someone did come. Uh, last thing before we finish. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 is in the last chapter of the Old Testament and it says this. It says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. So the clue is a messenger will come. Just like a police kind of outrider before a VIP, someone will come just before the Messiah. Okay? That person, I'll give it away, that person is John the Baptist So as soon as you see him appear, you know that this person that everyone is waiting for, the whole of the promises in the Old Testament are building up to, that person is just around the corner. And that is great news. Let me pray for us, and then Dave's going to lead us in a song. Father God, uh, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's so interwoven and intricate. Uh, but it also gives us really clear messages. And I just pray, Father, we would go away from tonight with an even clearer grasp of your purpose for this world, but also an even greater excitement of the Lord Jesus, who he is and what he has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to um, spend some time just singing.